Welcome to Catalyst Church. My name is Zach Sutton. I'm the lead pastor here. I'd like to just thank you for coming and worshiping with us. We are in Ecclesiastes 10 today. So if you could, go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes 10. If you do not have a Bible, you can raise your hand and uh, we'll get one to you. They're in the back underneath the mailboxes, which coincidentally, that is where you put your giving envelopes or your connection card if you have them and want to drop them in there. They're right by the doors. Thank you. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Joe will get you one. Ecclesiastes 10. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've been really blessed by Ecclesiastes. Some of it's hard, and if we're just honest, some of the lessons we have to learn in life are hard ones. And um, living our life as we found in Ecclesiastes, living our life for the world, living our life for the things of this world is just vanity. And living our life chasing after the things of this world, according to Solomon, is vanity. And so he's encouraging us now through these last nine chapters, well, the first eight chapters, like pointing out this is what's wrong. This is what's wrong with the world. This is why the world's this way. And oh, by the way, it's just how it is. And then last week, there was a shift where he's going to shift into, this is how you need to live your life. And today is uh, sometimes difficult, I guess, but it, it's, it's, it's funny, when I started, um, life is just crazy in this, right? Like, I had no idea when I started Ecclesiastes that by the end of the summer, or the end of Ecclesiastes getting close, that two of my five children would be leaving, like, whoa, where'd that come from, right? Like, how did that even happen? And so now we have this new, like, transition in life to where if I hadn't been going through Ecclesiastes, there's some things that I would be struggling with right now that Ecclesiastes spoke to perfectly. And that's just how God's Word is. And when we get into it and actually get immersed, what I call immersed in it, we start to see, hey, the Bible's right. It actually changes our life when we get immersed in it had a conversation with a few of my children about how the changes in my life over these last 10, 11 years are really pronounced. Our older children can see and remember the way we used to do things, the way we used to party, the way we used to do life is way different than we do now, and the growth is exponential. And the only explanation I can give is that the Holy Spirit's working through us, and it's immersion in God's Word. The wise man sits down, contemplates his ways, and reads Scripture. So it's immersion in God's Word that truly changes the individual. It was really powerful as we were singing one of the songs today. I I forget which one it was, but it was talking about salvation. And as I was contemplating salvation, I had this, this impression that the Holy Spirit, if we are saved, the Holy Spirit now dwells in us. And God, right then, That's the same spirit that was hovering over the waters in creation. Whoa, think about that. The same spirit that was hovering over the waters in creation now lives inside of you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And yet we cower in front of the enemy. And yet we worry about the things of this life. The same spirit that hovered over the waters now dwells inside of you. And if our God is for us, Who can be against us? And so now we're going to dive into chapter 10 here in Ecclesiastes. And man, Solomon does it again. 
This book is so rich and powerful in our lives. So let's pray before we dive in and and see what the Lord is going to reveal today. Lord, we just come boldly into your throne room, open-hearted, humble, bowing down before the creator of all things. Lord, you don't need us. But somehow, for some reason, your word says that you sent your son, even while we are still sinners, to die for us. We don't have to fully understand it. We just need to believe in it. Profess it with our mouth. And Lord, we pray right now as this indwelling of the Holy Spirit has occurred, Lord, work through us. Change this world through us. Let us be activated, anointed, and appointed to go and do your work for your kingdom, for your glory, and your honor. Lord, convict us in the areas we need conviction and show us how your word revealed in our life changes, not just us, but this world for your good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Ecclesiastes 10. First two verses. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Not much explanation there. A wise man's heart heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Not a political man, but it seems like God may lean one way. Just joking. All jokes aside, though, when we look at these verses, what matters in life is whether you're counted with the wise or you're counted with the fool. Those are the two things that, that truly matter. Are you walking with the wise or are you walking with the fools? I remember being a young man and, and the older would always say, you got to be careful. You are who you hang out with. Like, whatever. You know, that doesn't make much sense to me. So young children, young adults, even some of us older ones that are still struggling, you are who you hang out with. Are you, are you like actually pursuing God and pursuing friends that make you pursue God even more? who even challenge you in some areas that you don't want growth in, but you know that you need it because he's challenged you in that. The example I go to in this is when I used to golf all the time. I was a six handicap. I would get out there and I would play a good round, but it was interesting. When I would get teamed up with guys that were just out there to shoot in the 120s, like I would end up shooting like them. All of a sudden, I didn't have enough balls in my bag. I'm going through the woods. Like This is incredible. I'm losing everything. But something happened when I got teamed with someone who was better than me. They were where I wanted to be. I wanted to be better at it. And so because of that, I tightened up and I would shoot one of the best games I ever shot because I wanted to be where they're at. That's what we're called to do in our walk with Jesus Christ. When I think of this example, something that's really been put on my heart lately is missions. You've seen the renewed focus on it. And when I talk about, hey, I can't wait. I did not want to do this early on in my walk with Jesus. Like, I did not want to leave the country. But now there's a passion there. I want to be a missionary. I want to go on missions trips. And so when I bring that up and someone goes, wow, I don't know how you could do that. I could never do that. Note to self, I'm not seeking out their encouragement for my next mission trip, right? But I will surround myself with conversations with men like Nolan and TJ and Pamela and and these people that have gone and done it. Like one of the craziest things I've ever heard from both these men. TJ, 
singularly. He said, you know what, God, if you want me to go to Peru and sell everything and do what you want me to do, make the ticket exactly what I have in my bank account. The next morning, the ticket was exactly what he had in his bank account. When I asked Nolan, you know, what's the provision? How do you get this provision? I don't know. I just get enough money to leave, and then it, it works out. Like, what? You're in the middle of Uganda or the Ukraine or wherever you're at, and you're just waiting for them. Like, it just happens. And guess what? He comes back every time somehow. Those are the men and women that I want to be around because they're going to encourage me. I'm going to say, you know what? All I have is money for a ticket. Well, then what are you waiting for? As opposed to someone else who would say, wow, don't know how you're going to get back. Right? You see the point? There are things that you've been called to in your life that you need to surround yourself with people that are going to encourage you to go for it. Because there's going to be some in your life that will say, I wouldn't do that if I was you. I'm not saying cut them out completely, but cut them out of the wisdom in that. God has called each and every one of you to something magnificent and glorious, and he wants you to go for it. Surround yourself with friends that are going to say, go for it. Those are the ones you seek out wise counsel. Verse 3, I, can't, I, I love this verse. I sat on it way too long just to be transparent with you. I thought it was really funny when I think about this. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. Okay, so when we leave here today for lunch and there's someone walking down 390 or 23rd Street in the middle of the road, your first word is going to be, what is this fool doing? Right? That's going to be your first words. But like, when we see that, we don't need much explanation. Like, this person is struggling with something big. Like, what are they doing in the middle of the road? Like, this doesn't make much sense. And so Solomon here says, it is obvious when people are struggling, and it's obvious when they are the fool. If you're the wise man, it's easy to really pick that out. But this person that's the fool, you don't need to take long to recognize these are the individuals that think the world revolves around them, and they are the center of their universe. And they are the center of their universe because they think everything that goes on and everything that happens and everything that is, is about them. And that's where Solomon is warning us about here as we get into this chapter. Be careful of those, per those people. They are the fools. Because the wise person goes, you know what? There is something bigger than this. There is something bigger than me. And God in his word says I need to love him and then love others doesn't say anything in there about going out and acting like a fool like Solomon's describing here. He says, love others as you would love yourself. I love giving that example of my friend John that said, you know what? I was like, why do you keep raking up all these leaves and we don't have to? And the, owner, the homeowner didn't say we needed to. He says, because I love myself way too much. What in the world does that even mean, John? Well, Scripture says, love others as I love myself, and I love myself a lot, so I'm going to do this until I'm done. And it's an amazing testimony to go, you know what? It clicks. Every time I'm doing something for someone else, am I going to do it a little bit, or am I going to do it to the ability that I would want it done for me? Love others as you would love yourself. But that, the wise man doesn't have the universe revolving around him. The wise man realizes that God is way bigger, and God is in control. But we don't have to look very far or very, like, past our own yards, right? Right now, to think that you're small and be humbled, just look outside. How many of those twisted and broken trees are in your yard? 
those very same trees that you could walk up and you can't even push them. And when they're on the ground, what do we need? We needed a lot of people or machinery to move them. You don't have to go very far to realize how small you are and what your place is in this world. And yet God, in three, four hours, took those trees and threw them across your yard. God is sovereign. God is in control. And God is constantly showing us, you know what, who are you? I think of Job. So many chapters of Job complaining and then God going, okay, stand up and act like a man. Where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? Where were you when I put the stars into place? Where were you, Job? Stand up and act like a man. Who are we to look in the face of God and say, I am God. This place revolves around me. It's all about me, and I want. The wise man doesn't do that. The fool does. Verses 5 through 7. Therefore, there is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. For whatever reason it is, in this world, the fools are exalted and the wise are oppressed. You don't have to look very far past checking out in the grocery store. What is exalted? They don't have on there, like, Zach has attended church for 365 days. Like, they don't have that on the, on the inquirer. What they have on there is all the junk that's going on in this world. What they have on there is, you know, whatever, I'm not going to name any names, actresses or stars, right? They're divorcing, not even their own kid. Like, they have all this junk on there. They exalt the foolish. And yet the wise are having lawsuits against them because they stand up for what they believe in. Or better yet, we just don't exalt them anymore. Commercials on TV, shows on TV, the breakdown of the American family. You don't have to look any further than that. What has happened there? The dinner table is no longer a priority. The husband is a fool on the TV shows, right? Just there for a paycheck and an occasional funny line. The American life is now exalting the fool when we should be exalting the wise. 8 through 10. He who digs a pit will fall into it and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. This life is filled with things we don't understand. I don't understand why a man who works on power lines for 30 years get up every day and work on those lines and then gets in the middle of helping after a storm, laces up his boots, gets all the safety equipment on like every other time, and then he touches one thing wrong, and he's dead instantly. I don't understand that. I don't understand why the police officer who's worked for many years, and he gets out there, and he's just on a routine traffic stop, and he ends up shot and killed. I don't understand those things. But what I do know is that God is saying that we need, as the wise people, to plan our ways. Don't let complacency kill you. Oftentimes, whenever they review those instances that I just mentioned, it is complacency. Somewhere, someone did something 
that ended up hurting those two individuals. Doesn't make sense. Complacency. There were times in my own career when I worked on the flight line, you get complacent. You get complacent around machinery on F-15s, F-22s that will hurt you really bad. Hit your head on jagged surfaces. It's amazing how fast those will cut your soft head. It's amazing. Getting closed in doors that are meant for armaments, it happens just like that. And it's complacency. So where in your walk with Jesus Christ are you becoming complacent? We have talked this morning, we prayed through the fiery darts of the enemy. They come through. And if you have the shield of faith up, you can quench those fast. But when you get complacent in an area and you're not guarding one side or the other or even in front of you, guess what? Darts get through. And some of the first things that go is, you know what? I don't think they actually like me anymore. You know what? Things were better in my walk with Jesus when those people acted this way. And it becomes not a fight with the adversary anymore, which is what the word Satan actually means is adversary. It's not a fight with him anymore. It turns into a fight amongst us. And that is not how it's supposed to be. That is never how it's supposed to be. Jesus in the high priestly prayer prayed that we would be unified like he, the Father, and the Spirit are unified. So if Jesus is praying for that, don't you think he knows that there's going to be attacks? He knows. So friends, the moment you begin to think, you know what, that person is against me, or, or whatever it is going on in your life, that's the time to lay that down, go to that person and go, you know what, the enemy's trying to get between this relationship because there's supposed to be some greatness and holiness in here, and we need to fight against it. And we need to pray right now to kill it. There is no room for division in this room, in this church, in the body of Christ. Kill it. Matthew tells us, if you have something against your brother or your brother has something against you, leave, it at the, leave your gift at the altar and go and make it right. In those moments, you know it. Laying in bed, and there's, a, there's parts in, in Scripture here in, in chapter 10. If you're laying in bed at night and you're laying there going, you know what, i got to go to sleep, but man, that person just drives me nuts. That person irritates me. There's been times where I'm like, you know what, Lord, like, do something. Fix them. Like, fix them, right? Like, I'm, I'm leaving out the something, right? Like, but isn't it funny when you think about that? Like, you know what, Lord? Fix them. If you would just fix them, my life would be so much better. Have you ever thought that they're actually, the them is actually in your life to sanctify you? So that you will actually learn to grow in the Lord? Like, I don't like that. You can say amen, but I just don't like it. Because it would be so much easier if all the, the, the discomfort in my life was just fixed by removing it so that I would have a comfortable walk in Jesus. But do you get what I just said? How many times have I said, if you're comfortable in your walk with Jesus, you're not serving God, you're serving yourself. Iron sharpening iron isn't a simple thing. It's hot, stinky, difficult. Sometimes fires start, right? Right? God gives us all the instructions on how to work through that. The very first part of that is praying. Pray through it. And if you have something, I had to do it the other day. I got frustrated with Tim, and the first chance I had when I talked to him again, I said, you know what, Tim, I was frustrated with you. He said, I don't even know. I said, I know. 
But I still, I still need to apologize. I love you and I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? It was easy for him to forgive me because he had no clue about it. But that's what we're all supposed to be doing with one another. The moment it happens. <clears throat> when I think of this example of if the iron's blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. Have you ever tried to cut down a tree with a dull chainsaw? It is like just, like it's going to get through it, but you're basically burning through the wood at that point. Like it's not even cutting it. There is a, a time and place that when you get the chainsaw out, like you want to just get to work, right? But there's something that's really satisfying in the wisdom of putting on the back of your truck, sharpening the, the chain, getting your protective gear out, putting the bar oil in, putting the gas in. There is something satisfying about preparing for the proper job. And when you do it and you do it correctly, guess what? That tree comes down really fast. That's what we're called to do with our walk with Jesus. Are you preparing? If you're not in battles now, you're going to be in battles soon. And in the battles... Oftentimes, you don't even realize you're in a battle because it's like, you know what? I'm not really arguing with anybody. My walk with Jesus is good. I can skip Scripture for a little while. I don't need to read it. You know what? The sun's out. It's almost the end of summertime. I'm going to go to the beach today instead of fellowshipping. Whatever it is, we all get lulled into those thoughts, right? And the truth is, immersion in God's Word is the only way that, that God can speak to you through like His Word. He can speak to you through other ways, but primarily it's through his word. So if you're forgoing that, now you're relying on prayer. All of us can stand in here and go, you know what? We should be praying more. Fellowship, coming to church. 11, if the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. This is interesting when I think about that. Like when you're standing around, I've never done this. I was about to say when you're standing around watching a snake charmer, right? But there's like, I don't know the last time I did that. And, and we got rid of rattlesnakes three years ago in service, so we're good. But the, the fact is, when you are ever around a snake charmer, no, if there was ever a snake charmer and his sole job was to make sure the snake was charmed and people are standing there going, man, I hope he does his job, and it bites him because he didn't prepare, now he's dead and everyone watching's dead probably, right? What people in your life are relying on you to be prepared? Husbands, your family's depending on you. You need to be prepared. If you're not the watchman on the tower, protecting your home from the attacks of the enemy, seeing them coming, you are failing your family. You're no different than the snake charmer who just allowed them all to get killed. That's hard to hear. I don't like it. But you know what? I know that when Scripture is something I don't like in that moment, that means it's hitting something that I need to fix. How are we preparing? There's people relying on us, right? That, whew, that'll preach on a whole another sermon, right? <laughs> Wise men know where they're headed. Wise men know where they're headed. The fool wanders down 23rd Street and 390 with no idea where they're going. Sometimes that person is going to end up on a treadmill in life. They're frustrated, they're exhausted because what they're doing, they think they're running towards the goal that God has put before them. In all reality, they haven't made any decisions and they are stuck. And they're on a treadmill in life where they're running, walking. It doesn't matter because if you're on a treadmill, you're going nowhere. 
And all that's at the end of that is exhaustion. And God has called the wise man to go, you know what? God's called me to this. I know who I am in Christ. I know who I'm called to be. So I'm going for it. There's no treadmill in that. There is honor and glory that's found in God's kingdom that is waiting for that person. And so if you're prepared, you know who you are, you know who God's called you to be and what to do, go forward in strength and power. Be more than a conqueror in that. God has ordained, anointed, appointed, go. And when I think of how to do that, so I like to try to do that for you guys. Like, right, okay, that's great, but what do we do? Well, it goes back to that old analogy that I gave a long time ago. Which dog are you feeding in the fight? Are you feeding the spiritual dog or are you feeding your flesh? Because whichever one you're feeding will always win the fight. So what are you doing today that is feeding the spiritual side of who you are? Oftentimes, when I sit in front of someone and they say, you know what, I don't know why I'm not growing. I don't know why I still have these struggles. I don't know why the sin that I wanted to get rid of is still there. All right, well, let's sit down and do an inventory. How's your Bible reading? Well, you know, like once a week, you know, twice a week if I'm being honest, maybe. All right, well, how's your prayer life? No, we do it over dinner. Like, I'm not trying to make fun of that, but that is a, that's what we do. I don't know why I'm not growing. I'm mad at God because he's not doing what he said. Well, actually, in his sovereignty, you have a responsibility. God's sovereignty is true. God is in control of all of this. If he wanted this building to fall right now, there is no gravity that will ever hold it up, right? There is nothing in this room that will hold it up. He will squash it on top of all of us. But we have a responsibility. If, we, if it's his sovereignty, he's in control of what he wants you to do, you have a responsibility to follow through. And that is in the spiritual disciplines. Are you reading your Bible? Are you fellowshipping? Are you giving of your time, talent, and treasure? Are you praying? If any of those are a no or a maybe, or if all four of those are a no or a maybe, it's time to sit down and go, hey, I have some problems here. Sometimes all it takes is one of those to be just a little bit off, and something in your spirit will tell you, there's a problem here. Alarms go off. I know when I haven't been in Scripture for personal growth in one or two days. I can tell. I start thinking, wow, my kids are really loud, and I'm really tired of it. Wow, why don't they ever do the dishes? Why is my deck always dirty? Like, I start going like that. Whoa, what am I doing? Like, I am, one of these days, these kids that make all these dishes are going to be gone. I'm thankful I have a deck to even be dirty, right? You start to get to this point where, like, you know what? I need to get in the Word because I am failing in this time. And then the, the prayer part, this is what gets me. When I'm struggling with a relationship with someone, how much am I praying for them in that relationship? That's hard. Oftentimes I pray, like, remove them, God. <laughs> They're a problem, right? But that's not the way to do it. The way to pray for them is, Lord, I don't know what's going on here, but we need your help. Give me the discernment. Give me the wisdom. Give me the power to go to my brother, go to my sister and say, you know what? I don't know why I'm frustrated with our relationship, but I am. And we need to fix it. We need to fix it right now. There's nothing in this world that is more important, whether it's dirty dishes or dirty diapers or whatever it is that's causing that contention that needs to stay. Let's read 
12. Boy, that's what happened when the Spirit moves. I don't know what I just said, but I missed where I'm at now too, so that's good. Verse 15. If toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city, woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. So that person in verse 15 they're talking about is the one I was explaining on the treadmill. If you don't know where you're going and you're stuck on a treadmill, you're just going to end up exhausted, sweaty, and gone nowhere. So get in the appointed time and get to know what does God want you to do? Where does God want you to go? And then verse 16 there's a proper time, and, and as we've read through Ecclesiastes, you know this by now, Solomon loves a good party and Solomon loves a good dinner party, right? He's saying that over and over again. It seems like every chapter he hits it a couple times, like, hey, go get your good food, go get your good wine, have some friends over, and you guys have fun with that. But there's an appropriate time for it. So when you read in 16, woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. These are those guys like I used to be. I used to call it pre-gaming. I'm going to go before the event and make sure that I drink a bunch before everyone shows up because that's how I could show my dominance and my, my prominence in this place. Like, these people are the ones that will just drink. Like, here it is. It's 5 o'clock somewhere, right? That's the statement. So woe to you, O land, when your king is a child. There's a way to have a party, there's a way to have a barbecue that strengthens the soul. We explained, uh, or I explained last week about there's something that happens at the dinner table that's spiritual. And that's where I think the breakdown of American uh, families has really taken a toll on that. There's something that happens when you get around the dinner table and talk about the awesomeness of God and what he's done in your life with friends or family or both that just uplifts, edifies the body and it glorifies God and all that he's doing. And so Solomon constantly says, have the dinner, have the party, eat, drink, and be merry, but do it in the proper context in the proper time with the proper people. He'll always point out the foolish people are the ones just out there partying at the wrong time, the wrong place, and the wrong things. And Solomon says, put it in perspective, follow God and what he wants for these get-togethers. He says, work hard but wise, spend your money wisely, invite your friends over, have some wine, eat a great meal, and celebrate all that God has done in your life. Solomon wants you to enjoy life. God wants you to enjoy life. But God, even before that, wants you to follow what he wants for your life. Too many times we get that enjoy life part wrong, and it turns into this enjoy life in the way that I want it. My life doesn't look this way, so I'm going to go out and get it. My husband isn't following God how I want it, so I'm going to go do it for him. That speaks right to the fall, the curse, right? Or the husband says, you know what? My wife no longer does those things for me. She doesn't cook. She doesn't clean. She doesn't support me in the bedroom. Whatever it is, so suddenly now I got to go find something else to satisfy that. It's the breakdown of the marriage. It's the breakdown, the curse, and it's the breakdown of what God has intended for us all. So Solomon says, in the best way he can, stop making excuses. As we read through uh, 18 through 20, through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through in 
indolence, the house leaks, bread is made for laughter, wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. So he says here in 19, bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life. Here he is again, dinner. Have dinner in the right time. Enjoy your life. Invite the friends over. Have a barbecue. Hang out. Do what you're going to do, but do it to the glory of God. Do not mix up the last part of 19 here. It says, and money answers everything. Please do not create religion over that one line right there. Because that's what we can do, right? And money answers everything. God has given you the provision you have to do exactly what it says before that. So the provision that you have is from God. So money answers everything. You have what you need. Use it. For me, when I read that, I go, man, I am so blessed to be able to give in the ways that I want to give. God has called all of us in some way to give in that way. So money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom, curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Okay. It's just me, you, 120 other people, right? Like this is, have you ever like been thinking something about someone or said something, walked into a room, a few people and said something that was out of turn you shouldn't have said, and somehow everyone in there was talking about the same thing, but what you said, get back to that person? I'm the only one? No. I don't know how it works that way. I don't know why it works that way. But Solomon, even thousands of years ago, knew that Zach was going to be some, like, really dumb with some of his words, and it's going to get back to people. Growth in Jesus Christ says, you know what, Zach, you're thinking those things, and you're laying here in bed. You better be praying about them, and you better plan the next day to go talk to them. But be careful, because every word that you speak has power in it. We need to be speaking life. James talks about the, the words that we speak create a forest fire. Small things. The, 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 the tongue is so hard to tame, but yet we have to. As Christians, we have to be careful in that. A bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter. Do not curse the king. When you have those frustrations, when you have those worries and concerns with, with people that are around us, or friends, or co-workers, family, don't curse them. Pray for them. Encourage them. Seek them out and make it right. Solomon explains to us through chapter 10, don't make any more excuses. There's nothing but air and opportunity between you and what God wants you to do so get up off the recliner, get up out of the couch, get out of bed, and go and do it. That's simply what Solomon says through the entire book of Ecclesiastes. Stop serving yourself, and there's no way that you can just sit there with lack of preparedness, right? And Shekinah, Holy Spirit glory is just going to fall down on you from the, the rooftops. You need to get out there, immerse yourself in God's word, and do what he's called you to do. Then you will see God and his glory working through you. So what does tonight look like for you? Are you doing what God has called you to do? Is there someone in your life that you need to go to and make it right? If you're thinking, I don't want to do that, that's going to be hard. That's what God is calling you to do. 
That's been a hard lesson for me. The things that I don't want to do are exactly the things that God is calling me to do. That's so difficult. Solomon, all the way through Ecclesiastes, is telling us, stop living for yourself. When you live for yourself, you're not serving God anymore. You're serving yourself. So stop making excuses. Celebrate what God has given you and serve others to the best of your abilities through the Holy Spirit and His power. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the book of Ecclesiastes. Father, we have two more weeks in Ecclesiastes, and you have just immensely blessed us. Lord, we ask for provision where we need provision. We ask for healing where we need healing. We ask for disease to be cast out. Father, we, we don't pretend to be okay anymore. Lord, we can rejoice and know that it is well. But Father, we know that we need you more now than ever. Father, teach us, convict us, show us the places where we are struggling to follow you, to serve others. And Lord, if we have something or our brother has something against us, show it to us and let us leave our gift at the altar and go and make it right. Lord, let this not just be some knowledge that comes into our ears this week and that we go away like, like it never happened or that, that it's just something that I learned on Sunday and I don't need to apply it. Lord, I pray right now that I apply every word that you taught me this week. And I pray for this congregation that they, the things that they learn today, even if it's just one word, Lord, that they apply it to their life and they go into their mission field. Father, we love you and we praise you. We want everything we do through the power of the Holy Spirit to be for your glory and your honor and your kingdom be advanced. In Jesus' name, amen.